I do feel a word very heavy in my spirit. But Gaddy, you were right on. This morning I could not get away from uh, very early in the morning. I snuck down in the hotel and really probably did more pondering than I did studying. Wasn't a lot of studying, just reflection on his word and whispering the prayer so I wouldn't disturb the little baseball players that were coming down and grabbing their cornflakes or whatever they were eating. And I just kept saying to myself, he wants to do something so personal today. And I feel that in the Holy Ghost. He wants to do something personal today. Would you lift your hands just for a moment? Father, what an honor it is to be in the presence of a living God, the King Eternal, the Creator. Is a miracle any other part of you, or is it just you? Is it any harder for you to do a miracle? Oh, I believe not. I believe it is just you operating, perfecting your bride, getting her ready for your quick return. I pray, Lord, that the remainder part of this service, Jesus, that you would minister on a personal level. Let miracles and signs and wonders follow your word. I believe it today. Somebody said, I believe it today. Amen. Praise God. I'm going to allow you to be seated. I've got a couple of things that I want to start off with, and then we'll start hitting some of our text today. I was reflecting, Acts chapter number 1, verse number 8. I love the scripture. I love the book of Acts. I am captivated right now uh, by the second chapter. In fact, the church today, um, uh, the great church that I'm privileged to pastor, uh, I'm just driving it home to them. And I feel sorry for them. I really do. Uh, because I can't, once I get on something, it's, it's, I just, I just keep going after it. And those poor people, um, those poor people, I've just been driving the book of Acts for the last probably three or four months and, and we're just right in the middle of it. And so, uh, this verse is very, very familiar to me, but the Lord gave me a perspective on this verse. It's not our text verse today, but I think it's important to introduce exactly where we're heading today. But it says, as you might be familiar with, but ye shall receive power after that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. We just talked about it a few moments ago. And you shall be witnesses. And I appreciate the term witnesses. I really do. I appreciate that term. It's, it's driven from a, a concept, and it's where we would apply our word martyr from. That term witness there is a deep word. It shows very deep commitment. And the Lord helped me understand that the calling was not necessarily to die for him in terms of life ending, but rather to die out for him in the way that I live my life. And so the Lord is, is uh, dictating to his disciples at this moment that you will die out for me and be witnesses unto me. And that's a very important prepositional phrase. You're not just going to be witnesses for a church. You're not going to just be witnesses for your own ministry. You're going to be witnesses unto me. And you will reach Jerusalem, all Judea. You will have have a, a, an impact that literally turns the world upside down. 
in Judea and in Samaria. And now we're starting to get away from the heart of, of the disciples. We've just got to be real about it. Samaritans were not well thought about. But Jesus presses even farther and says, and unto, another prepositional, uh, another preposition for this prepositional phrase, unto the uttermost part of the earth, another preposition for a prepositional phrase. I'm not just letting you realize that you're going. I'm going to dictate to you the specifics of where you're going. You will hit the uttermost part of the earth. And it is nine chapters later in the 10th chapter that we find a verse that describes a man. But not just a man. And I'm reflecting on this this morning. Not just a man. But the Bible says that he... In verse number 2 of chapter number 10. And all his family. And he. And all his family. Were devout. They were God fearing. He gave generously. Who? He and all his family. Because if it comes out of daddy's pocket. It comes out of the family's pocket. The commitment of the father was the commitment of the family. I want you to understand something. When that treasure was out in the field, and I don't want to deviate because I realize that, that I'm, I'm trying my best. My wife says, please stick to the time, Longstrap. Stick to the time. But what opportunities do I have to preach at this great church? But when the treasure was in the field and the man discovered it, the Bible says that he would go home and he would, he would sell, he would accumulate every amount of worth that he had. And he would, he would be able to say, is all of this that we presently own worth more than what I have discovered out in that field? And he would accumulate that, him and his family it would be a commitment that not only he would have to make, but that his family would have to make. And they would have to come to the conclusion that we trust the Father's eyes on what he discovered out in that field. Because the wife wasn't with him. The children weren't with him. But there was something about the way that Daddy said, this is worth selling out to. And let me encourage every man in this place because that's where it starts. Every father in this house, uh, if that's who you are. Or, or let me extend the invitation to an understanding of every head of household. It starts right there. Well, I, want, I want my children to live. I'm telling you right now, if we dictate uh, to them... Not only in our verbal response, but also with the way that we live our life and the way that we walk in. If there is a joy to this thing and there is a peace to this thing in the middle of all the transitions and pains. It's worth it. Are you sure, baby? I'm telling you, what I found out in that field right there is a treasure beyond your wildest imagination. There is something there. Now, is it going to cost you? It'll be costly. Oh, it'll be costly. What's it going to cost us? Everything. Is it worth it? You better believe it. Is it worth changing your friend group? You better believe it. 
You see what I'm talking about right now? Come on, daddies. Come on, mamas. Let's show our children. I saw the devotion of those parents today as they, they, they were tired with a cup of coffee in one hand and a suitcase in another. And I thought to myself, how devoted are they? Where are they from? Where are they going? All I know is the kid had a bat on his back and he had eye makeup underneath and they were on their way to some tournament. And I thought, how devoted do you have to be to go place to place and hotel to hotel, weekend to weekend, to ensure that your child is able to make the commitment to the game. And I wonder about myself sometimes. How committed am I to the game? What would I be willing to do for the game, ladies and gentlemen? He and all his family were devout, not just him. They were God-fearing, not just him. They gave generously, not just him. And they prayed. To God regularly, not just him. And the Holy Ghost spoke to me today and said, it's really not that compli uh, complicated. It's not that complicated, Longstreth. Devout, God-fearing, giving and praying. And the whole Gentile door was opened to a family. It was a family. The whole Gentile world was open. That door was open through the efforts of a family. Worship leader got up here and she was in the Holy Ghost when she began to dictate a few things about the present versus the desire for the future. And I thought, I, I, I have this tendency, and I thought I, to myself, I, I said, uh, what does it matter what I see anyway? I love the song and I keep singing it and you guys did fantastic up here. But what does it matter what I see? Sometimes it's just about what I know. And I know he's good and I know he's faithful and I know he's true and I know he's capable and I know he's still the king of kings and the Lord of lords. I know some things. And I don't want to lean into my own understanding and allow that to dictate my future. I'm telling you somebody. There is a God that never wavers, never changes. And that same God still has the capability whether or not. Faith cometh by and hearing by the. Well, hear it, ladies and gentlemen, because this is a season where God has an open door. I promise you, this is a season of an open door. There's a loaded question, and that loaded question is this. Is God coming soon? Come on, is there a witness in the house? Well, let me say it like this. If God's coming soon, miracles are coming sooner. If God's coming soon, revival's coming sooner. If God's coming soon, then the harvest is coming sooner. You hear what I'm talking about? He's not coming back for a broken bride. He's not coming back for a bride that's limping. He's coming back for a bride that is perfect and ready. He is. Clap your hands to the Lord. This is the Jesus that we're talking about. The Gentile door was opened through a family. Wonder what this family 
can do. What do you mean? Which family? I'm talking about this family. The same type of family that Jesus spoke about. When he said something like this, who are my family? But they that do the will of the Lord. Not, I'm, not, I'm not taking my precious mother and, and placing her down. I'm just telling you right now that those that are doing my will are my family. And so we gathered here today, not as a congregation, but as a family. This is a family thing. This is a family affair. This is a family journey. This is family sacrifice. This is the need for family prayer and family God-fearing and family devotion. I sure wish the staff would. No, the, the family will. I sure wish the praise team would. No, the family will. Oh, you're not hearing me. I'm telling you the balance in all of this. And I feel a witness up here in the Holy Ghost. But the balance to all of this is, is if, I can, if I can bless you for being blessed. Oh, I'm telling you, it does something in the spirit. If I can rejoice for you when, you, when, God, when God pours something out in your life or your household, I'm telling you, it, it activates something in the Holy Ghost. And I don't know why I'm talking about it right now. It's not in my notes. But there's a witness in the Holy Ghost to tell you, be unified in all of this well God's not blessing me I'm telling you right now if one is blessed the family is blessed it's a family thing I can't tell you what it does when when you're when, when you're not here it changes the atmosphere if you get a witness right there it changes the atmosphere we know I know like, why weren't they there today? I wonder where they were. How did you know that? Because something wasn't right. Every member of this body, voting or not, is valuable to the body. It's a family thing. Two nations are in your womb. Two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. Years go by. Now Jacob cooked a stew and Esau came in from the field and he was weary. And Esau said to Jacob, please feed me with that same red stew. For I am weary. The Bible indicates that his name would be called Edom. It's talking about the red nature of Esau. But Jacob said, imagine this. Man, I'm hungry. Selinda, I'm starving. Oh, man. Can I have some stew? Looks like you got plenty right there. Imagine this. Some of your birthright. That don't even make sense. Like, I'm trying to make sense of the conversation, and I can't even make sense of it. I'm starving. Sell me your birthright. They're not playing cards. This isn't Texas Hold'em. It's not all in. He's hungry. He's weary. Jacob can recognize that. Jacob knows that. Jacob sees that. He walks in. He's disheveled. He smells like the field. He's weary. He's unbathed, unchecked. His body needs nourishment. And it's at that point in time that Jacob says, 
What about that birthright? Sell it to me this day. Now, I want you to understand something. Don't give it to me. Sell it to me. He didn't say, give me your birthright. No, there's a transaction here. There is a transaction here. Give, no. Sell, yes. He says, look, I am about to die. So what is this birthright to me? Swear to me as of this day, Jacob says. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. And Jacob gave Esau bread and stew. He ate, he drank, and he went his way. And Esau, from that day, despised his birthright. The privilege of the firstborn. privilege. Up until the Levitical law, they were the priests of the family to be. Looking toward the future, as your pastor said, he was going to be the priest of the family. It's not just about possessions. It's about blessing. You, you receive whatever, two-thirds or double or whatever it is, and, 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 and it's not just about the blessing. It's, it's or excuse me, the, the material gain. It's about the blessing. What is daddy going to speak over me? Family affair here. We're passing down from one generation to another. And Jacob simply says, I'm interjecting something here. Would you be willing to sell it for a moment of satisfaction? And at the table of compromise, they make a trade. One birthright for a bowl of lentils coming on up. How would you like that? A little Creole in mine. You know, I like mine a little spicy. Put a little Creole in that and butter that bread for me because I want to make sure that this transaction is worth it. And he eats and he drinks and he refreshes himself for a moment, but he'll get tired again. He's refreshed for a season, but he'll be weary again. He'll be broken again. He'll come out of the field again, needing something to replenish his strength. But Jacob walks away knowing my future is now secure. Man, Jacob was a cheater. I don't, I, I don't think so. He was an entrepreneur. I don't hate on Jacob. about that birthright I got a lot of respect for a man that's willing to say how much do you value your future how much do you value your future because there's a covenant made oh there's a covenant made with you with, with, with your granddaddy and that covenant was is that your lineage through him is going to be and that there would be a land that, that there would be possession of. The sands of the sea. The stars in the sky. You hear what I'm saying? New life, come on somebody. And it's that that Jacob is after. 
We're not talking about years of separation. We're talking about moments of separation. Two in the womb at the same time, struggling to come out first to receive the blessing. And Jacob was always second. But at this time, Jacob said, I'm not going to be second. I wonder how much he values that. Would you be willing to sell that to me? I would. For what cost? A little bit of bread and a little bit of stew. And Jacob says, that's a good trade. And Jacob trades. And it's at that point in time now that Jacob is the way that God looked down and saw it, Jacob would be in that lineage. The Bible declares that God loved Jacob and hated Esau. It's not, a, it's, it's not an unrighteous hate. It's a choosing one versus the other. It's a standing for one versus the other. And the reason why is, is the word despised. And anybody despised that despises, rather, my future and what I'm willing to invest in them. I choose the one that is ambitious for it. I'm telling you, God is looking for some that are ambitious for his blessing, ambitious towards the things that he has to offer. And so I ask this great church, I ask this great assembly, choose you this day, Jacob. But it's not my right. But do you want it? But it doesn't belong to me. But do you want it? And how much do you want it? In an inopportune moment, would you say, I want what was promised to our forefathers. I want the revival that God had said was going to be in the last day. And my question to this church is, how much do It is a moment of compromise. It is in a moment of compromise that Esau says, I'll take the moment over the mission. I'll take the moment over the blessing. I'll take the moment. But Jacob says, I'll, I'll give for the moment. But it's, a, it's, it's an investment. Oh, the ROI on this is going to be really good. The return on investment of this is going to be really good. If I pray, it's going to come. I'm telling you right now, I feel something in the Holy Ghost. Uh, if I can just believe, despite the fact that everything around me is trying to disprove my faith, if I can just hold uh, firm my foundation in Him, I'm telling this great congregation this morning that God is saying, I wonder who is ambitious. Say what you want about Jacob. He's an ambitious fella. He doesn't gain his wealth from his daddy's side. He gains it from his mama's side. 20 years plus he serves. Somebody give me an idea how in the world Leah happened. That's a different subject. Somebody discuss with me how that took place. I'm just perplexed. I just don't know. But he walks away. He serves and serves. And he leaves a wealthy man. It's time for me to go back. And God meets him in an in-between spot. And in that in-between spot, he begins to, begins to wonder. I, I wonder how ambitious Jacob still is. And as he's there contemplating how he's going to deal with a brother... The Spirit of the Lord manifests itself. And now 
the wrestling match happened. When will Jacob stop? How weary is Jacob? We know how weary Esau was, willing to make a trade. That's how weary Esau was. The moment outweighed what God had for him in the future. The blessing was not enough for him because of weariness. Because I've just, I've just been out in the field. I've been doing the work of the Lord. I've been trying to be faithful as a father or a mother. I've been trying to raise my kids right. Uh, and, and, the, and, and I'm just weary at this moment. Uh, I'm telling you, parents, I'm speaking to some of you today. The Lord wants to know how weary Jacob is. And so the test in the wilderness. Are you your brother? Until you, what? It's always been about the blessing. Bless me. I recognize I am in a holy place, a God a dwelling place. This is a place, a house of a Lord. And so to him, he was latched on to the divine. And what he got from his earthly father, he was saying, I want from my heavenly father. What do you want? I want a blessing. You're going to have to defeat the moment. What kind of moment? Moment of struggle, moment of trial, moment of, uh, of difficulty. But if you can hold on, and I'm witnessing to somebody right now, if you can just hold on. Because it's a fight what you want here. It's a battle what you want here. I want my children saved. That's a battle. I want my school system affected. That's a battle. I want this church full. That's a battle. And what the Lord wants to know is, where does ambition? Where does it fail? Where does it falter? And Jacob said, I'm not going to. I'm going to hold on until I receive the blessing. And the angel wrestled with him. And Jacob said, bless me. And the angel wrestled. And he said, bless me. And the angel wrestled. And it was at that point in time that the touch happened. And Jacob is forever changed, forever altered. But that does not. No pain. No discomfort. Oh, oh, oh. Nothing is going to change the trajectory. I'm right here. I've made it this far. Come on, somebody. You've made it this far. You have made it this far. You have made it this far. I thought I'd given up by now. No, 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 no. Not you. Not new life. Come on, somebody. You're still here, and you're still ambitious. And there's something inside of that spirit that said, it's going to be a win for me. Just a few times later, a few deaths and a few births later, the Bible dictates to us that while the people of Israel were still at an in-between place, this place called Rephidim, the warriors of Amalek attacked them. Amalek attacked Israel in an in-between space. I've made it this far, but I'm not there yet. There's Amalek. 
I've went, I've went this many miles, but I haven't, I haven't crossed the finish line. And there's an Amalek. It's, it's post-Egypt and it's pre-Canaan land. And here comes the Amalekites. And the Amalekites don't battle fair. Oh, no. They not only attacked in a very vulnerable position. I want you to read in your own time, Exodus 17. And I want you to read through that entire chapter. And you're going to find one word that is threaded through that entire chapter. And that word is weariness. The very beginning of the chapter, they're weary. They've been traveling and they just want water. And their weariness brings about complaints and brings about demands and brings about anger. And all of a sudden, Moses cries out and says, God, if you don't intervene, these people that are thirsty are going to stone me to death. And he dictates a name over that place. And that name shows us the weariness of the people because that name dictates that that place would forever be known as a place that was identifying whether or not the Lord was there. Don't you tell me that we can't go through things like that. Well, I've been in here for 30 plus years, I know. But there are times in which we're wondering, is the Lord still there? And I'm speaking to somebody right now that's wondering, is the Lord still there? And it's there. It's there in that position that the rock brings forth water, this miraculous place, and, 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 and they drink. And, and it, it seems like it's a time of refreshing until the Amalekites. And they attack. And they not only attack in a certain position, they attack a certain position. And the Bible says that they attack the rear of, of, of Israel, these Hebrews that were walking out. Of Egypt, just crossing the Sea of Reeds, the Red Sea, and and on the other side of that, uh, the Amalekites start taking, start start targeting rather the the children. They start targeting those that are older. They start targeting the health, uh, uh, the, the ones that that don't have it, uh, that are stragglers. And Amalekites are there trying to kill and defeat them at their weakest point. They're weary. What does this have to do with Jacob and Esau? These people have no fear of God. Forty years later, the Canaanites are still shivering over what God did to Egypt because of his people. And yet the Amalekites have no fear of God. They have no fear of God because they are of the lineage of Esau. They are Esau's. Descendants, close to the presence, close to the blessing. I don't have time to go into that part of the message, but they were dwellers in the house of the blessed. Dwellers in the house of promise. They were raised underneath the same roof as the Jacob were, they were raised in the same area as Jacob's descendants would have, with the same understanding and the same blessings. But the Amalekites did not fear God. They did not fear these descendants. And I'm brushing with a broad stroke today, but I want you to understand something. That that chapter deals with weariness. And the people of God.
the weary on the journey, attacks the most vulnerable. Moses sets the battle in array. Joshua, you take you men, go out. Thank God for the strength. Thank God for the strength of our youth. Thank God for the strength of those men and women. Oh, thank God for that. Joshua, fight. Joshua took him certain men out there on the battlefield, and as they went out and battled, the Bible de declares that Moses went up. And he goes up and he sits on top of a hill and he overlooks the battle scene. Why is Moses not there? Moses was a fighter. He was a killer. Moses was a shepherd. Moses understood. He was a, he was a manly man. But, but age and weariness has something to do with it. And so now he is better fit as an intercessor than he is being on the battlefield. And so the Bible dictates that, that when his hands went up, with the staff in his hands, Israel would advance on the Amalekites. But when weariness took place, I'm tired of holding this. I'm tired of raising my hands in the middle of pain. I'm telling you right now, there is divine in the middle of all that. Oh, there were some that said that there was no, no supernatural thing that was going on there. But I, I don't know if, if I can truly agree. I don't think that they had time to look up and see whether or not Moses. No, I think there was something divine going on. There was a transaction going on. There was a question being laid. And I close, if the musicians would come, I, I, I close with this. There's a question that was being asked. How tired, how weary is Jacob? Does Jacob still have a fight in him? And my question to the church, oh, it's a season of blessing. You should be talking about miracle signs and wonders. Oh, we will. I don't believe that God is a respecter of persons. I believe that God is a respecter of hunger. What are you hungry for? Esau's hungry for a moment. Jacob's hungry for the future. I want change in my life. I want to be fed in my life. Oh, no, 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 no. I'm not looking for something temporary. I'm looking for something that's life-altering. I'm looking for something that has a legacy with it. I'm looking for something that when I stand up in my family, they know that I'm not just some part of this family. I am the future of this family. So I ask this great church, how hungry are you? I need a miracle in my life. How hungry are you? How hungry are you? I need change. How hungry are you? This whole weekend's about a fight. It's been about a fight from the very beginning. What kind of fight do we have left in us? Enough for a moment. Enough for a moment. Oh, no, no, no. can't do it alone can't do it alone I love Aaron and Ur I love both of these men I'm a big fan of Ur disappears in the shadows it's gone and as he disappears in the shadows of history 
The Bible declares, and this is another part of this message that we don't have time to talk about. You can stay standing. Some believe that Ur is the one that stood up against Aaron and the people when they said, make us, make us a golden image. Some believe that it was Ur that said, no, we can't do these atrocities. No, Moses will be back. Wait. And they stoned him. And so it was at that point in time that Aaron gave in. It's not recorded in the word of the Lord, so we can't put it down as, as, as an absolute. But the, 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 the key here is, is that he's gone. He's removed from history, except for, except for, except for his lineage. Except for his lineage. Because the Lord says, Moses, you're going to dwell in a place where you're going to have to fight every single day. I'm going to teach my people how to fight. Not fight the enemy. Fight perception. Fight doubt. Whatever. And you're going to dwell in the, in the wilderness, but I tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to allow my presence to dwell with you, but you're going to make me a house. And the articles will be this and this and this. And here's the furniture, this and this and this. And here's the overlay, this and this and this. And Moses is in a, in a moment of, of just terror. How can man, mortal man, make such items of holy nature? And he says, I will anoint. And I believe his name is pronounced somewhere in the ballpark of Bezael. And this particular man is in fact the grandson of Ur. What are you holding his hands up for, Ur? For the future. But you probably won't be around to see it. It's all right. Maybe somebody in my lineage. Maybe somewhere down the road, God will use the hands of my children or grandchildren. The last man to touch the Ark of the Covenant and live as we know was of the lineage of a man that said, I know you're tired. But you're not alone. I know you're tired and weary, but you're not alone. Oh, you're not alone. We're not going to do this alone. So how are we going to do it? Within the family? Because Moses on one, on, on, in the middle rather, and on one side would be Aaron. Oh, that, that's, that's, his, that's his flesh. That's his blood. But Ur, there's argument on whether he was a child of or married to, but we know that he came from. He came from that lineage to where it would have put him in direct proximity in the family tree of Moses. They're all related. Up on that hill, Brother Gaddy, Aaron sees Moses trekking up the hill 
It's a family thing. Yeah, but I didn't get blessed today, but it's a family thing. Oh, I'm telling you, a spirit of intercession can take this place to a new dimension. If I begin to intercede on behalf, I don't know the needs that are in this church, but I'm a, I am certain there is brokenness. How do you know that? Because I pastor a church and there's brokenness there and there's hurt there and there's trial there. I know that some of us are, are anxious for our children to come back. What if we would join together as a family? We want to see miracles. What if we join together and said we're there until the miracle happens? If there are families in this house that are in need, if there's a mother or a father or a daughter or a son and so on, and you need a miracle from the Lord, a miracle, a notable miracle, I want you to come to this front right now. A notable miracle, I want you to come to this front right now. I want you to stand up at this front. Give yourself space because this is what we're going to do in the Holy Ghost. I want the family of God, the personal family and the family of God, as you see this congregation. Ladies and gentlemen, there is future in this place. There is future in this place. The question is, is how weary is Jacob? Not too weary. Not too weary. All those that, that need a notable miracle, I want you to lift your hands right now to the Lord. Is God the same God as he was last week? Come on, somebody, let your faith. Is God the same God as he was last week? Come on, I want the family of God. I want the family of God to be able to circle around. Come on, hold their hands up right now. And I want you to pray directly by faith. 